Right, you're watching Stockwatch this week. Welcome to it. I'm Zanati Guma. Let's wrap up the weekend markets with independent analyst Jimmy Muyaha. Thanks so much for joining us on this Friday, Jimmy. Um, let's start off with the Fed. I mean, at this point, it seems that whatever one thinks of the Fed's outlook, it's confirmation bias at this point because it feels that whatever you believe the Fed is going to do, they've said it. So it feels like from the statement on Wednesday, they spoke to the 50 basis point camp and they also spoke to the 75 basis point camp at the same time. What was your take on Jerome Powell's messaging on Wednesday night? Well, I think it's very, very different from the messaging we've seen in the past. And I think that's probably why it speaks to a wider audience is that they've, they've adjusted um, their rhetoric and their conversation from what was in the past. If you remember when they started this rate hiking cycle, they were very adamant about where they see inflation peaking, about how everything was under control, about how everything was going to go exactly according to plan, and none of it did. <laughs> and that sent markets into a tailspin. Yeah. And I think now they're, they've sort of come back from that to say, we need to be more accommodating in our approach. Uh, we need to be more understanding of market factors and market conditions. We need to take a more measured approach. And that's what we've seen happen. Um, that coupled with the fact that the dollar has shown unprecedented strength in this recent time is probably what's giving the Fed a bit of comfort is to say, whatever they're saying at the moment is starting to filter through into dollar sentiment, into um, safe haven sentiment. It might not be filtering through into equity market sentiment in the US as yet, but what it is doing is um, it's showing, it's painting a picture that um, the world is worse off than where America is positioned. We've seen the ECBs come out with um, a significant rate hike. We've seen that the Bank of England is also um, hiking rates to unprecedented levels. And all across, we're seeing that the, the rhetoric from the US Fed is to say, okay, cool, we were bold enough to come out first and get it wrong and that sort of thing, but we're now comfortable where we're sitting um, and where we've positioned ourselves to say that we have weathered the bulk of the, or what we've conceived to be um, the major volatility spikes. Mm. And so they look to see a more settled approach with future announcements. And that accommodative stance is something that um, is ind indicative of potential um, stabilization within the markets, mm -hmm. but also a reduced level of risk, a, a reduced level of uncertainty from what we've dealt with in the past. We've dealt with a lot of factors in the last 12 to 24 months. We've dealt with um, a war. We've dealt with COVID. We've dealt with a resurgence in COVID. We've dealt with a decrease in demand. There's, there's been a, an array of factors we've had to sit and deal with. And all of that, the US Fed is looking back and saying, well, our dollars held strong relative to everything that we've had to come out of. Yeah. And therefore, we're a bit more comfortable at this stage. Okay. So how much then hinges on the October non-farm payrolls print that is coming out this afternoon? I think today's print is going to be different from all the other prints we've seen in the past because it's coming out after the fact. Yeah. A lot of the prints came out before the interest rate facts and before the inflation facts. This, this one's coming out after the fact. I don't think it's going to be a big um, mover of sentiment at the moment. Okay. You, if you remember a couple of months ago, there was um, a very clear sentiment or very clear rhetoric from President Biden to say that job um, security, labor wage growth rate, uh, unemployment rates, those are the core focuses of his administration coming in uh, alongside working with the Fed. And they've managed to stabilize that. We saw that last month's um, unemployment print came in lower, 3.5% versus the 3.7% we had anticipated. And we saw that based on that, it looks as though the jobs 
picture in the U.S. is looking more stable than what it was a couple of months ago, and the inflation picture has simply taken over. It's a bigger picture, it's a bigger conversation, and that's where the focus is. So I think the fact that the numbers are coming out after the fact today is not going to be a significant uh, mover. We might see markets still react to it because the job numbers are still um, Mm. an important uh, piece of data, but I think they'll come in in line with estimates. They'll continue to provide a lot more reassurance to the American uh, economy and the American decision makers, uh, but I don't think we'll see a significant move from them today. Yeah, we've seen quite a big market rally today and noting NASPERS and process up about 6% uh, so far today, of course, because of the rally in Tencent. And of course, this is on hopes that um, Xi Jinping will start to kind of ease on the zero COVID policy. I mean, is, is, is hope a strategy now when it comes to investing in China? <laughs> I I would not say yes to that question, and that I mean the reason for that is if you remember the Chinese Communist Party recently had their re-election, Xi Jinping uh, was re-elected, and off the back of that, the rhetoric was still very much a socialist approach. Yeah. We did see that the relaxation of the COVID. Uh, announcements or the COVID restrictions that China has been announcing. We've seen in the last two days or so, Alibaba's up some 10 to 12% there as well. Mm. Um, you're seeing that Chinese stocks are looking to mount a bit of a, a comeback. But if you look at the, the amount of um, investment that has flowed out of Chinese stocks as a result of the Chinese policies and as a result of their clampdown on the tech space in China, the amount of wealth that's been wiped out, the amount of valuations that's been wiped out of the companies, it's still very, very early to want to say China is going to be um, a good place to invest. Yes, their stocks might be trading at a discount, but are you prepared to, as an investor, whether the potential of the Chinese government intervening at a moment's notice, intervening without announcement? And I think yeah. that's where a lot of the fear and the sentiment is still resting, is that um, even though, even if China comes back and, and the Chinese stocks come back in and the Chinese markets uh, come back to sort of full operation, we can still expect to see uh, ongoing interference or ongoing involvement from the Chinese government. And they've made it clear that they're going to increase that level of involvement. Yeah. Now, without knowing when those announcements are going to come in, it's almost unpredictable to predict where you're going to, your, your shares are going to perform and how they're going to perform. If you think back to early 2020 um, or early 2019 when Donald Trump was still president um, and the announcements that he would make on Twitter and that, the, the volatility that would cause within the markets, it, it's almost akin to that in that you don't know when the Chinese government is going to come mm. out against their own um, stocks. Yeah. You don't know what their rhetoric is going to be going forward. It made it very clear they're taking a socialist approach and that socialist approach is never good for capitalists that want to be yeah. invested in their stock. <laughs> However, there is a silver lining for the Chinese market. With demand coming back into the fray, you've got China, demand across the board, yeah. oil markets, coal markets, uh, Tungela's up 7% as well today off the back mm. of this, Kumba's up 7%. So demand across the board is going to be resurgent. You're seeing that oil prices are back close to the $100 barrel mark. Yeah. And so Chinese demand coming back into the picture is definitely a good sign for everybody. But whether it's time to invest in Chinese stocks, still a bit too early for me. All right. Uh, there's some questions here just talking about um, the miners. Every other day, Implats buys more RB Plat shares. When does it end? Uh, the, today, they also, I think now they own about 40.7% of RB Plat shares. 
Yeah, well, I mean, if you remember that um, they've, they've been interested in the RB Platts deal for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, throughout a lot of the COVID period, we've, we've spoken about this deal on and off. Uh, it's very difficult to say where it ends, because if you own 40% of a company, you intend to own a majority stake or a controlling stake or even the entire company, you've still got 60% to go. So mm-hmm. um, for them, it's strategic acquisitions. It's probably acquisitions in line with where they're getting good pricing, where they're getting good valuations for um the acquisitions and it's in line with their strategic uh, objectives. Like I said, if they plan on acquiring a, a controlling stake as they did announce in the past, um, then we've still got a long way to go to see what's going to happen with that. Uh, I think at this stage for them, it's just about planning it out and seeing do they have resources to do it? Is the resource better allocated there or better allocated elsewhere? We know that they've got a couple of partnership relationships that they're dealing with as well. And so um, working together on certain projects versus acquiring the project to then acquire increased stake in the revenue side of that project is something only um, Implats can advise us on in terms of how they plan to do that. Yeah. All right. Another question on the miners. I thought I had thick skin, but looking at the performance of the miners like Sibanya in my portfolio, I'm starting to doubt it. How much more pain should I brace for? <laughs> pain is going to be there regardless of the sector. Um, we haven't bottomed out on equity markets. We are equity markets, regardless of what sector you're looking at, are mainly looking at things around forecasts. We've spoken about this at length in the past to say that where demand is stagnating, where demand is slowing down, that means revenue forecasts are being reviewed down by companies, whether it's the mining space, whether it's the banking space, it doesn't really matter which sector you're looking at. There are some sectors that might be more insulated than other sectors, but if, for as long as we're dealing with factors around demand and supply chain constraints, we're going to be looking at forecasts, we're going to be looking at revenue numbers. And at the moment, with inflationary pressures around the world, those are significantly affecting demand side um, pressures or creating demand side pressures or creating a lack of demand in certain uh, spaces. On the mining side, on the commodity side, what we've had the benefit of is is we've seen recent commodity cycles um, in 2020 and 2021, we've seen um, the tension that the Russia-Ukraine war has placed on the demand for commodities and on the supply for commodities. And I think this Christmas time or this particular period will be a very telling time because we're now going into, or we're now almost in uh, European winter and those energy shortages are going yeah. to be felt. We've, we've seen countries preparing for the energy shortages, but we haven't yet seen the effect of the energy shortages. And we'll only really know that once we're in the thick of it, once we're seeing um, whether countries can meet their energy demands. And that is going to be a, tr- a testing time for miners, for mining stocks, for the ability of mining stocks to be able to get commodities exported on time. Uh, we know that Transnet has been a big factor around this as well in mm-hmm. terms of getting things uh, exported and getting things to port on time. Yeah. Um, but overall, now's the trying time for the miners to say, are we going, do we have enough to meet demand? Okay, yeah. cool. Uh, are we able to meet demand? So having supply is one thing, but being able to actually get that supply to where it needs to get to is going to be the other factor. So I think we're still, we've still got a lot of um, headwinds ahead of us from the mining side of things. Uh, but overall, I still think if you look at Sabanya and being a diversified mine player, you might want to be holding on. You don't want to be sitting there and then the market starts to rebound and you've gotten out of the low yeah. and you regret that decision. Jimmy, what's interesting, before we get to your stock pick, um, it seems that the gold miners, though, aren't really going through as much pain as, for example, the, the PJ miners like Sabanya. Just talk to me about well, that. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, from, from, the, from the gold miner's side of it, if you look at where the gold price is sitting, they've gone through their pain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> gold price was sitting at about $2,000 at some point per ounce. Gold miners were showing record profits last year. They all, they all exceeded the expectations, uh, Sibanya included in that bunch. And you've since seen that those miners have come off, or the price has come off in line with the gold price. Gold yeah. is not the safe haven that we thought it would be in this particular time. Um, we've seen it come back, and there's still potential downside for gold. I mean, we could potentially see um, $1,500 an ounce. I mean, it's been holding, thankfully, above $1,600 an ounce, but it's still a long way off from $2,000 an ounce highs where we saw it uh, reach. Uh, from the PGM side of it, I think uh, a lot of theirs. A lot of PGM miners have been driven by ongoing demand. Yeah. Gold demand has slowed down. The demand for safe haven has slowed down. The demand for nickel, copper, um, PGM uh, products, yeah. that has not slowed down. Production continues there. Demand side and production on EV vehicles, on um, all sorts of things that are required from PGM miners yeah. um, or diversified miners is yeah. not the same demand that we're seeing from gold miners. And uh, so that's probably why you're seeing the disparity. All right. Well, let's wrap it up uh, quickly. Jimmy, your stock pick for today? Very difficult. Very <laughs> difficult. Uh, we're looking at MTN. Okay. Um, ideally, I'd like to get in about 10 Rand lower, probably about closer to 120 Rand a share. Mm -hmm. MTN and Vodacom both, both bounced off that 120 Rand level. MTN's got bigger upside potential. Uh, first target, probably about one, 160 Rand. Um, but fair value in MTN is probably well above the 250 Rand level. They've recently reported great results out of uh, Ghana, Nigeria, Uganda, as well as Rwanda, even though they're amortizing that license renewal cost in the Rwandan business. Mm -hmm. um, and that was Q3 results. I think Q4 results will be bang on target. Their uh, subscriptions and revenues are up. Um, mm -hmm. And it's a service-oriented business, which is not looking at the same supply chain constraints as some of the other uh, players in other sectors. Yeah. Um, so I'm liking MTN at the moment. I would like to come back to 120 Rand. I don't know if I will get back there, um, yeah. but at the moment, that's, that's where I'm eyeing my stock pick. All right. Well, we will be having a conversation, an interview with the CEO a little bit later on, on the close with Bloomberg, um, just after six. So thank you very much for your time and your insights, Jimmy. Uh, independent analyst, Jimmy Muyaha.